Okay, Norma, would you pray for our time in the Word and our time of worship? Father, God, thank you so much again for this opportunity that we can come together and fellowship. Brothers and sisters in Christ, Father God, we thank you that we can rejoice in the fact that you are God and God alone, Father God, that you are our Father, and you love us, Father God, first. Lord Jesus, we are thankful that we, uh, we can call you Abba, we can call you Father. You are for us and not against us. And your love can do it forever. And your mercy is new every morning, Lord Jesus. Yes. Lord, we are so thankful, God, that every day you are doing a new thing in us and through us, Father yes, God. Lord. You are working all things for good for those who love you who are according to your purpose, Father God. So, Lord Jesus, we pray this morning, God, that you will speak to us, that you will penetrate our heart, Lord Jesus, that we will learn more of you, Father God, that we will be obedient, that we will not just be here of the word of God, but that we will be doers, God. I pray, Lord Jesus, that we will be attentive to your leading, you will speak, God, and that we will rejoice in the fact, Father, that you have called us to, to go and tell someone, even if it's only one person, about your great love for them, Lord Jesus, and what you have done. So, Lord, we we thank you. We give this time to you, Holy Spirit. Speak to us this morning. I pray that you will strengthen your servant, Lord, and that you will use him completely during this time together, Lord Jesus. So strengthen us, we pray. Amen. Amen.
sing out a new song. and into your marvelous light, Lord. We've placed our confidence in Christ and in Christ alone. We thank you, Father, that your love endures forever, that your mercies are new every morning. And oh, how I pray that, God, you would embolden us to, to testify of your goodness and of your grace, and of your mercy, and of your love. That we would tell others and share the hope that is found in Christ and in Christ alone. We thank you, Father, that you can, Lord, bring forth life from death. That you can take the seeds that have been scattered among the ruins and bring forth newness and hope. So may we, Father, as your people, listen to the sound of your still, small voice calling us into the harvest fields to labor for your kingdom, 
preparing for your return, Lord Jesus. Find us faithful, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So the third R for this year, release, is what we're focusing on. The act of setting free or letting go. We can't get to this third R unless we understand the first R, repent. The second R, to resolve. Because once you repent, once you have the understanding, as the the Holy Spirit draws you to truth, enlightens you to and gives you the wisdom that's needed for the area of your life that's not honoring him you can't help but take a step back and turn from it recognize how wrong it is you have a sincere regret and remorse and you turn from it and you're not trying in your own strength to turn from it, because in and of yourself, you wouldn't. You would remain there. But because of the revelation of Christ, because of the understanding and the wisdom that the Holy Spirit is giving you, you are sickened by it. And you don't want to be like a dog returning to its vomit. No, you see it for what it is. It should be disgusting. You get up from it. And in that moment that you are repenting, as you're turning to go a different direction, as Christ is making the crooked path straight, you have to resolve, you have to make up your mind to follow him. (laughs) To not go back, to not look to the right or to the left or to question, but to step out in faith and in obedience and trust him. And as you get up, and as your mind is made up, you have to release some things and some people. Things that are holding you back. And the main thing that holds you back is you. (laughs) Because we've grown comfortable in our flesh with the things and the people in our life that keeps us enslaved and shackled to darkness. As Christians, we are not to be part partakers of darkness. Because now we are children of light, children of hope. We are called to be his ambassadors. We should not feel comfortable among the darkness. We should not feel comfortable among the world. And the same goes for the other side. Darkness should not feel comfortable with us, and the world should not feel comfortable with us. The line has been drawn. Jesus says, you're either for him or you're against him. And so when we think about releasing the act of setting free or letting go, we have to realize that's what Jesus came to do for us, to set us free. We're no longer to remain imprisoned and enshackled to what the enemy and what the world and what our flesh craves. Because remember, all of that is death. It's dying. There's no hope in it. But in Christ, there's hope. There's freedom. There's wholeness. There's nothing missing, nothing broken. And when we see, when our brokenness, when our imprisonment, when our shackles are comfortable to us, and we're not throwing them off, It's a choice that we're making, not to release it. Because for whatever reason, we still find our identity in it. But our identity cannot be found any longer in those things or those people. 
nor identity is now is to be found in Christ and learn of Christ. Grow, mature in Christ. Grow in the new nature that you are in Christ. And as you grow, so it's easy to get up and to let go. So a few quotes that I've shared. Getting over a painful experience is much like crossing monkey bars. You have to let go at some point in order to move forward. And that's from C.S. Lewis. And if you see your life not moving forward, it's because you haven't let go. And again, we can't blame other people. We can't blame circumstances. We can't blame this. We can't blame that. No, it's, it's, it's me. It's me, myself, and I. Decisions sometimes prove to be the hardest to make, especially when it's a choice between where you should be and where you really want it to be. Let God have your life. He can do more with it than you can. It hurts to let go, but sometimes it hurts more to hold on. So let go of the past so that God can open the door to your future. When you finally let go, something better always comes along. And finally, to heal your wound, you need to stop touching it. Scriptures that have given us to encourage us as we're, I pray, meditating and seeking Christ and the Holy Spirit to empower us to be able to truly live life because it's not a one-shot time deal. No, it's an every single day, moment by moment, minute by minute, Hour by hour, repenting, resolving, releasing. It's a whole new mindset. It's a whole new way of thinking. It's a whole new way of living. I ought not to be here. I ought not to be thinking this. I ought not to be putting my hand to this. I ought not to be in agreement with this. I ought not to be confessing this. This ought not to be what's coming out of my mouth. I ought not to be placing my eyes on this. And when I see that I'm touching, I'm placing my eyes, I'm thinking upon it, I'm just, I'm in agreement with it, I'm, my, I, my mouth is speaking this. When we see it and we do nothing about it, something's wrong. <laughs> We've been captivated by darkness. And I keep encouraging us as the Bible is very clear for us, the days are getting darker. <laughs> the war and the level of warfare is increasing. You're either engaging in battle or you've lost. You're among the dead. <laughs> and that's not where you belong as a Christian. You know, each and every single day you're getting up and, you're, and your position is moving forward. You're, you're taking ground. You're, you're not retreating. You're not going back. You're not giving up. You're not giving in. And you're surely not partaking of what they're offering you. No, you're to be with a sound mind, a sober mind. You're to be alert. You understand that your enemy's prowling around seeking whom he may devour. You're a watchman on the wall. <laughs> You're interceding, you're standing in prayer and praying on behalf of others. And your focus is not on yourself any longer. No, your focus is on others. To serve others, to love others, to encourage others, to edify others and to build them up. 
You're to be a light. You're to be testifying. People ought to see that there's something different about you. And so as you listen, as you meditate, as you're seeking each and every single day to cultivate the newness of life that you have found in Christ, because remember, for God so loved you that he sent his one and only son that if you would believe in him, you will not perish but have eternal life. It's a new life found only in Christ. And so if you're not growing in Christ, then what really have you found but religion? And like I've been telling us over the past few weeks, the devil doesn't mind you going to church. Your flesh doesn't mind you going to church. The world doesn't mind you going to church. What matters to them is if you start believing (laughs) and in your belief, start living. Because then you become a threat to the establishment. You become a threat to your own self. Because the flesh and the spirit, they war inside. But greater is he that is in us than he that is in this world. And you ought to by now know how, you should already know how to preach yourself happy, to encourage yourself, to edify yourself, to build yourself up so that you can remain on guard, so that you can keep moving forward with the body of Christ. Because it's a family, it's fellowship. And oh, how we ought to be treasuring the fellowship of believers as we treasure the fellowship with Christ. Christ loves his bride and he's brought us together so that we will enjoy this fellowship because we can't find it in the world. We can't find it in these temporal relationships that we try to cling to. We can't find it anywhere else but within the church. The church. That's where you find that genuine hope and freedom in Christ. That fellowship with the brothers and sisters that are like-minded because you're people of light. You're not people of darkness any longer. You're not people of lukewarmness any longer. No, you should be, and we should be a people growing and maturing and seeking Christ. Not perfect, not trying to measure up to to others' means, no, but trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone and allowing him to work in and through us. Revealing our flaws, our our weaknesses, everything. Exposing the fruitless deeds of darkness. Bringing it out into the light. Just to have this this hope of, of restoration, of wholeness, of security in Christ. So to release. Proverbs 4, verse 25 through 27. Look straight ahead and fix your eyes on what lies before you. Mark a straight path for your feet. Stay on the safe path. I love this. Don't get sidetracked. Keep your feet from following evil. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to one another. Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ 
has forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 31 through 32. And if you listen to a lot of people who have issues with, quote unquote, the church, the issue, though yet they can make and stand a valid case, but actually what they're doing is appointing their finger back to themselves. The issue truly isn't the church. The issue is you. You haven't released. You are holding on. You are only seeing your wounds, your hurts, your issues. La, 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 la. And we all have a sad story that we can tell. <laughs> but it's your choice. Well, you don't know how they wounded me. You don't know about this. You don't know about that. They don't do it. They don't... And it's all of this junk that's just constantly being thrown at the bride of Christ. And the reality, it's you. Because if you're releasing, if you're repenting, if you're resolving, and you're releasing, you're not going to get caught up on the ins and outs, and the ups and the downs, and the left and the rights. Because no, 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 your eyes aren't focused on all of that. Your eyes are focused on Jesus. And he said, but you don't know what I've gone through. No, no, it doesn't matter what you've gone through. What we know is what Jesus accomplished. And that ought to be enough for us. That ought to be enough for us. And I say it not lightly because I've been one that has been, you know, wounded severely in the formative years of my Christian life by the church. That used to be my problem. And so the Lord got a hold of my heart and and realized, no, 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 no. It's not them wounding you. It's you allowing, you're choosing to wound yourself. Poor you, poor you, poor you, poor you, and poor you. (laughs) Jesus is our example. And thank God he didn't keep his eyes fixed on how he was treated by those (laughs) that he came for. To do life with. Thank God he looked beyond them and he kept his eyes on the Father. Oh, we need to hear that. We need to repent. We need to resolve and we need to release so that we can grow up and so that we can mature. Philippians 3, verse 12 through 14. I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection. But I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed for me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it. But I focus on this one thing. Forgetting the past, And looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. Did you hear that? This is Paul. And he himself recognizes, I haven't arrived. I haven't reached that state of perfection. But this is how I choose to live. (laughs) I keep persevering. I keep pressing on. I'm not backing down. I'm not giving up. No, I'm trusting in Christ. Job 17 verse 9. The righteous 
keep moving forward. And those with clean hands become, look at this, stronger and stronger. If you failed this morning, if you failed this week, get up. Get up. Stop listening to the lies of the enemy. Stop listening to the clamoring of the world. Stop listening to the desires that are from within. And start getting up and moving forward. Philippians 4 verse 6 through 7. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace, listen to this, will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. You see, God has begun this work in us. He is faithful to complete it. And that's why I've been challenging over the past couple of weeks. Start a journal. If you can't do it for a whole week, do it for a day. For goodness sakes, if you can, for whatever reason you can't do it for a day, do it for an hour. How much time are you spending cultivating your relationship with Jesus? How much time are, are you seeking Him? Genuinely seeking Him. It is a lifestyle. And when you look at it, don't beat yourself up because, no, there's really been no time for him. Repent. Resolve. Release. Repent for keeping him at bay. Resolve in your mind to start cultivating it because you need him. Apart from him, you cannot live. And you need to release the things that you are tracking that is interfering with your walk, with your cultivation of this relationship with Christ. Maybe it's just all those insecurities in your mind that you need to let go because because of all those insecurities, you're looking elsewhere to feel fulfilled. Maybe it's relationships. No matter what the relationships are. Maybe it's things or, or, or possessions or even just the drive to have. And so everything is exposed when you write it out and you get it before you. And you look at it and go, oh God. Or maybe you do it and you see that there is, like you're cultivating, you're living, your experience. Well, praise be to God. Pray and ask and remind yourself that you haven't got arrived to perfection. You need to be even more and more drawn to Christ and in Christ. And know that God will guard your hearts and minds. I love that hope that we find in Scripture. Because our minds and our hearts, if they're not guarded, by God in Christ, we're a mess. We're a mess. Because as we think, so we go. John 14, verse 27. I'm leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. 
So don't be troubled or afraid. Matthew 11, verse 28 through 30. Then Jesus said, come to me, all who are weary and carry a heavy and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. And finally, John 8, verse 36. So if the Son has set you free, you are truly free. And you would not trade your freedom for bondage. You ought not to be living that way because you're under the blood. Jesus went to the cross. Jesus shed his blood. You have been washed clean. You were once blind, but now you see. You wake up with a hope. Even when your circumstances and the world are chaotic and darkened, you still have hope. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1 through 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. These are scriptures I want to give us to encourage us to persevere. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. These again are familiar scriptures. We've read them before. I hope that you've read them on your own or in fellowship with other believers. You've talked about them. Listen, as I've said over time, people are always looking for something new. But what we have is this treasured Word of God. This is all we have. We're not to add to it and we're not to take away from it. We should be devouring it. This is all we have to encourage, to edify, and to build each other up with. To allow this to be the mirror that we're looking into. And not walking away forgetting who we are. See, we must know our identities in Christ. And we cannot know our identities in Christ if we do not know Christ. So therefore, since God in his mercy, has given us this new way. Not the same way, not the old way, but a new way. Are you living the new life? Are you experiencing the new life? He goes on and says, we never give up. When we reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods, we don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. Do you know your character? Uh, could you stand up and boldly proclaim who you are, and in that, know for certain that you're honoring God with how you're living? You ought to be able to. Again, not that you're perfect. Not that you've arrived. But that you are maturing. I mean, listen to what the, the man of God is saying here. It is because of God's mercy. He has given us this new way. It's nothing we've done. It's nothing you've done. It's all because of God. And it's because of this. And it's because of this understanding that we never give up. 
We reject all shameful deeds and underhanded methods. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God. And all who, and all who are honest know this. You see that ending. Dishonest people always have something to say about Christians. Dishonest, unruly, ungodly people, even if they claim to be in Christ and fellowship with the church, you can tell ones who are not in fellowship with Christ by the way they run their mouth about the church, about Christ. No, no, no. The honest know this. The honest know. And why does those who are honest know? Because they see the reflection of Christ. As you see the reflection in Christ in them. There is fruit coming from your life. You're not just a barren life. With briars and thistles. With thorns and emptiness. No, there's fruit coming forth. If the good news that he goes on we preach is hidden behind a veil, it is hidden only from people who are perishing. Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of the good news. They don't understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. So we don't have to distort the truth. We don't have to add to our testimony. We don't have to try to persuade men and women. No, we just honestly tell the truth about Christ, who he is, the hope that is found in him, and what he has done for us. And if this good news is hidden, it is only because Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of of those who don't believe. They cannot see the glorious light of the good news. They cannot understand this message about the glory of Christ, who is the exact likeness of God. And when you read that, that should prompt you to even draw you to a deeper prayer life, to a deeper intimacy with God. Because you know your war is not against flesh and blood. Your war is against the principalities and rulers and the air of the darkness. And you ought to be praying for those that you're sharing Christ with. You ought to be praying that the Holy Spirit would empower you so that you can live an honest life, a fruit-bearing life, to go forth and to tell others about Jesus that they may come to trust in Jesus, that they would be born again. You see, we don't go around preaching about ourselves. We preach that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we ourselves are your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let there be light in the darkness, has made this light shine in our hearts so we could know the glory of God, listen to this, that is seen in the face of Jesus Christ. We now have this light shining in our hearts, but we 
ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God and not from ourselves. It's nothing to do with you. Nothing to do with me. It all has to do with God. And we contain this, you all. If you're a child of God, you have the Holy Spirit within you. You have the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead within you. So why is darkness defeating you? Why are you still yoked in the same old relationships, the same old chaos, the same old mindset? That's not where you belong. Why is there no fruit in our lives? That's not how it's to be. No, we ought to be eager to grow and to mature. And when we see areas of our life, when the Holy Spirit is shining the light on that area, we don't hold it and we don't get offended and we don't withdraw from fellowship with Christ or the church. No, we run even closer to Him because we want the light to expose it so that we would be healed, so that we may continue to grow and to mature because it's all about His kingdom like he's returning and when you see him for who he is you don't treat him as if he's nothing as if he's no one or we just don't make him so common that we just walk right by him so we we possess this treasure within us we are pressed on every side by troubles but we are not crushed We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are hunted down, but never abandoned by God. We get knocked down, but we are not destroyed. Through suffering, our bodies continue to share in the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be seen in our bodies. Yes, we live under constant danger of death because we serve Jesus so that the life of Jesus will be evident in our dying bodies. Do we not hear this? This is a man who has been persecuted for his faith. We have brothers and sisters who are being persecuted for their faith. We ourselves may endure some type of persecution because of our faith. Just because we've come to Christ doesn't mean that everything is roses. Doesn't mean that we're all just going to sit around and sing Kumbaya. No, it's a whole way of living that is so opposite to the ways of this world. That's why we do not belong here. But while we are here... Until he returns for us, now we're to go forth and proclaim his kingdom. That his will would be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's all for his glory. It's all to reveal Christ to others. So my question is, is as you've gone through your week, as you've gone through this morning, has Christ been your focal point? Have you thought about as a Christian, as I go about my day, I am to reveal Christ to others? Is that even a thought to you? And if it's not, then it ought to be. Something is wrong. 
I keep telling us we're being lulled to sleep. And we have got to grow up and start having a backbone. Like everything about your life is to reveal Christ. Everything, even to the point of you dying for him, it is to reveal Christ. So when troubles come, calamities come, when they're hunting you down, when they're telling you you're fired because you're a Christian, when you feel like you don't even have a place in this world and you're not sure of what's coming next, you can still have hope. You do not have to be driven to despair. And you can trust that, God, this is all for your glory. Not because I'm seeking it, to, to obtain it, to be crushed, to, to be driven to despair, to, to be hunted down. Not that I'm somehow doing this weird thing to draw attention to me. No, it's just me living life as a child of God. Honoring and trusting Him. Oh, I don't have to go out and try to get myself entangled with chaos. No, chaos will try for me. Troubles will come for me. The enemy is seeking to devour me. And you can say the same things. But oh, what hope do we have? That you're called to reveal Christ. You're called. Everything. That's why the Bible says everything you say or do. Do it as if you're saying it for Christ. You're serving Christ. It's all about Him. He goes on. But we continue to preach because we have the same kind of faith the psalmist had when he said, I believed in God, so I spoke. We know that God who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us to Himself together with you. All of this is for your benefit. And as God's grace reaches more and more people, there will be great thanksgiving and God will receive more and more glory. It's all about him. It's all about him. Everything. It's all for him. For him. That is why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying, our spirits are being renewed every day. For our present troubles are small and won't last very long. Yet they produce for us a glory that vastly outweighs them and will last forever. So we don't look at the troubles we can see now. Rather, we fix our gaze on the things that cannot be seen. For the things we see now will soon be gone. But the things we cannot see will last forever. Oh, do we understand it. The hope that we have in Christ Jesus. The identity of whom we belong to reveals the identity of who we are now and how we are to live as children of the light, of those who have been covered by his blood, those who are to be about the Father's business, living a life that honors him, 
seeking Him, like the greatest commandment, to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your body, and with all of your strength. You see, this is what it is to be a Christian. And it cannot be as it has been in the past years, the past generations. No, I keep encouraging you, if you have breath in your body and you are a Christian, there is work to be done. The first step is to get rooted in Christ, to abide in Christ, remain in Christ, so that then you can be sent forth. You ought not to be living with just this for yourself. Your life should be impacting others. One way or another, they either hear you and see you in your sweet sense of fragrance of life, or you're going to be that stench of death to those who are already condemned. But either way, you are to be out there, you all. You are to be out there living this new life. It's the most craziest thing to say, I'm a Christian, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, and yet my life bears no marks of him. There's nothing coming from it. That's not a Christian life. It never has been, and it never will be. That's a facade. That, that's just religion cloaking itself in disguise to hinder people from knowing the truth and seeing the glory of God that ought to be, that ought to be being displayed through the life of a believer. We're going to take communion. But before we take communion, we're going to spend some time. And I'm going to let worship just being played over us. But I don't want to rush into communion today. I want you to spend time allowing the Holy Spirit to search your heart. Allowing Him to minister to you right where you're at. And if it's revealed that you're not a Christian, then let today be the day that you accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. As he is being revealed to you because the Father is pleased to reveal himself to you through his Son Jesus, that you come to a knowledge, not because man has taught you, no, but because God is pleased to reveal to you that Jesus is the Son of God and that he is risen from the dead. He's still not a baby in the manger. He's still not on the cross. He's still not in the tomb. He has risen from the dead. And this is your belief and this is your confession. And that is what is to be impacting your life every single day day when thoughts are running through your mind when, when words are coming out of your mouth when you see that you're just kind of getting comfortable in areas you ought not to be comfortable in no no you begin to say wait a minute this is tainting this is hindering the confession and the belief in which whom i say i believe in and i hope in so i don't want to keep partaking of this so if you're not living a life that way, today's the day to begin to live a life. Let today be the day that the blood washes you clean. Let today be the day that the power of God brings you up out of death and into life. Let him bring you and transition you from darkness to light. 
and take communion and do it in remembrance of him. Now, if today you're sitting here and you are in Christ, then still allow this time of reflection and meditation be on Christ. Because we're not perfected yet. So God, strengthen us. Let him reveal the areas that you need to mature in and to grow in. And then as we partake of these elements, let's do it collectively in remembrance of him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Oh, how we had a sweet um, session on Friday night in Revelation. And you, if you're not here, you ought to be here. Because this Revelation series is unlike any we've ever, and everyone that's been attending can testify to it, unlike any other Revelation study we have ever gone through. Or if you have ever individually set in. No, there's, a, there's, an, a, there's an awareness that's taking place as we're looking at these scriptures with fresh eyes. And then when we see this scene in heaven of the scroll, huh? and who is worthy to open it? Only Jesus, you all. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. Oh, how I pray. Oh, how I pray not only for myself, but for all of us. But that would be the words and the meditation upon our heart. Only Jesus. Mm-hmm. Only Jesus. So I'm going to allow this song to kind of just play over us. Don't miss out on this moment. Don't get bored. Don't get sidetracked. Whatever you need to do. If you need to get on your face, if you need to get on your knees, if you need to stand up, whatever you need to do, just to focus only on Jesus. Because I'm believing that God wants to bring forth something new in our lives. And he can't bring anything new if we're still holding on to what we ought not to be holding on. So truly allow this time to be a reflection, to repent to resolve, and to release. And then I'll let, you know, I'll let you know when you come up and if you would pass out the elements.
what worked back then will work again. I know the blood is still the blood. I say, no.
Take the bread. Okay, would you pray over the cup? Father, and your scripture says in Hebrews 9.22 that there has to be a blood payment for sin, the shedding of blood. God, through your covenant with us, 
made a way through Jesus. His blood was shed so ours didn't have to be. He took on our sin and our shame. And we do this in remembrance of you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Take the cup. Amen. Let's go to Judges chapter 8, verse 18, through chapter 9, verse 21. Again, Gideon and his men that God has selected for him. That's who we're reading about and hopefully being encouraged by. Again, the book of Judges cycles. In it one day, in Christ one day, or following God one day, and the next day not. <laughs> These are God's people, set apart for His purpose. He's with them. He's abiding with them. He is wants to be their God, their King. He has set them apart for Himself. And as we've studied Scripture, and as we know Scripture, God's purpose, God's plan to have a people that He will call His own, and in return, they will call Him their God. They would worship Him and Him alone. So in the book of Judges, we see that the Israelites have entered into the promised land, in the very land God promised their forefathers. God supplied everything they needed, they were only to keep their relationship with God. But God wasn't enough. They didn't go in and clear out the land as they were told to, and God used those that they allowed to remain to kind of be a thorn in their side, to be their stumbling block. They kept intermarrying. They kept worshiping false idols. They kept being led astray and giving themselves over to all the other nations around them. And they lost sight of the very one who has delivered them. But God has not given up on them. Because every time they felt the weight of their oppression and sin, they cried out to God. And God raised up a judge. And this judge moved on behalf of God. And there's multiple judges we are reading about. We're reading about Gideon. We're picking up in verse 18 of chapter 8. Then Gideon asked Ziba and Zolumana, the men you killed at Tabor, what were they like? Like you, they replied, they all had the look of a king's son. They were my brothers, the sons of my own mother, Gideon exclaimed. As surely as the Lord lives, I wouldn't kill you if you hadn't killed them. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword, for he was only a boy and was afraid. Then Ziba and Zumana said to Gideon, be a man, kill us yourself. So Gideon killed them both and took the royal ornaments from their necks of their camels. Remember Gideon. He was the weakest of the weak. He came from the weakest of the families, and yet God raised him up and called him a mighty warrior. This was a time when 
Israel was basically stripped bare. Remember, the Israelites were hiding in the caves. They've lost everything that God gave them, all because of their own doing and forsaking God. But God heard their cries, raised up Gideon. This army that Gideon and his 300 men defeated were, was the armies of thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands. And God said he had to dwindle down Gideon's army so Israel would not become prideful thinking they had defeated these armies. No, God wanted to remind them of who he was and how they should trust in him and him alone. Verse 22. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. Listen to this. The Lord will rule over you. However, I do have one request, that each of you give me an earring from the plunder you collected from your fallen enemies. The enemies being Ishmaelites all wore gold earrings. These people wanted to be ruled. They wanted a king. And yet all along they had the great king of kings with them. God, the creator, the Lord of heaven's armies. Ultimately, God would bring up a king... But isn't it interesting? We are all searching for something to rule us. We really are. In and of our flesh, in and of ourselves, we're looking. And yet all along, that place only rightfully belongs to God, your creator. And oh, how I pray that we've submitted to his lordship, to his rule. If not, we will be seeking something, someone to rule us. Gladly, they replied, they spread out a cloak and each one threw in a gold earring he had gathered from the plunder. The weight of the gold earrings was 43 pounds, not including the royal ornaments and pennants the purple clothing worn by the kings of Midian or the chains around the necks of their camels. Gideon made a sacred ephod from the gold and put it in Oprah, his hometown. But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it and it became a trap for Gideon and his family. And this is important because this ephod was only meant to be, was created actually for the high priest to wear. Not this one, but the original one. And so commentaries aren't really quite sure why Gideon did this. Some say that maybe his motives in doing it was, was to, to acknowledge God and, 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 and for worshiping God. But ultimately, no matter what his motives were behind doing this, it led to the downfall of the Israelites. See, not everything that looks good is the right thing to do, especially, especially when things are being introduced to the Christian faith 
that sounds good, that sounds right, that looks okay, but when it leads us from worshiping Christ, it's wrong. No matter how many people are saying it's right, we have to abide by God, His rule, His laws, His ways. They're unchanging. And they should have known. But instead, they stopped worshiping God and began to worship this object. And I love how the Bible describes it. Verse 27, But soon all the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping it, and it became a trap. We better be mindful of what we're worshiping that is apart from Christ. It will not only become a trap for you, but for your family. That is the story of how the people of Israel defeated defeated Midian, which never recovered. Throughout the rest of Gideon's lifetime, about 40 years, there was peace in the land. Then Gideon, son of Joash, returned home. He had 70 sons born to him. He had many wives. He also had a concubine in Shechem, who gave birth to a son whom he named Abimelech. Gideon died when he was very old, and he was buried in the grave of his father, Joash, at Ophrah, in the land of the clan of Abizir. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal Beerth their god. They forgot, listen, look, they forgot the Lord their god who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them. Nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, because all the good he had done for Israel. I keep telling us, when we say in our hearts of hearts that God isn't enough, we stray. We stray. Look what they did here. As soon as Gideon died, They prostituted themselves by worshiping images of Baal. They forgot the Lord their God, who had rescued them. And oh, how it is. No different than it is for us today. That's why I keep encouraging us. Listen, the craziness that's going on in this generation, the craziness that's coming upon this earth, we have got to remain rooted in Christ. Worshipping Christ and Christ alone. He has to be enough. And the areas of our hearts that isn't enough, we will stray. But oh, how I pray you're not straying, but that you're abiding. Nothing good comes from it. Nothing good comes from straying. Nothing good comes from seeking to be lorded over by someone or something else. One day, Gideon's son, Abimelech, went to Shechem to visit his uncle and his, I'm sorry, his uncles, his mother's brothers. He said to them and the rest of the mother's family, ask the leading citizens of Shechem 
whether they want to be ruled by all 70 of Gideon's sons or by one man. And remember that I am your own flesh and blood. And we're going to read through verse 21 of chapter 9. So Abimelech's uncles gave his message to all the citizens of Shechem on his behalf. And after listening to this proposal, the people of Shechem decided in favor of Abimelech because he was their relative. They gave him 70 silver coins from the temple of Baal-beer, which he used to hire some reckless troublemakers who agreed to follow him. He went to his father's home in Ophrah, and there one, I'm sorry, on one stone, they killed all 70 of his half-brothers, the sons of Gideon. But the youngest brother, Jotham, escaped and hid. Wickedness. Vileness. Demonic. And I was reading this one commentary and they talk about the stone and the point of why it was mentioned of this stone. That killing of these brothers was an act of worship unto Baal. Killing his own brothers so that he could gain power. So that he could rule and lord over the people. He saw himself as God. And notice, he didn't have godly people around him doing this. No, he sought out troublemakers. Careful of those that are in agreement with you and whom you seek out to accomplish Whatever your heart is set on. No, your heart should be set on what God has for you. Not trying to work things out to get things done, manipulate people, gather those who would just be in agreement with you to accomplish what you want to do. No, we are to be followers of Christ and in agreement with Christ. These men set out to accomplish what Abimelech wanted. But one brother, Jotham, Jotham, escaped. When Jotham heard about this, he climbed on the top of Mount Gersom and shouted, Listen to me, citizens of Shechem. Listen to me if you want God to listen to you. Once upon a time, the trees decided to choose a king. First, they said to the olive tree, be our king. But the olive tree refused, saying, should I quit producing the olive oil that blesses both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the fig tree, you be our king. But the fig tree also refused, saying, should I quit producing my sweet fruit? just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then they said to the grapevine, You be our king. But the grapevine also refused, saying, Should I quit producing the wine that cheers both God and people just to wave back and forth over the trees? Then all of the trees finally turned to the thorn bush and said, Come, Be our king. 
And the thorn bush replied to the trees, If you truly want to make me your king, come and take shelter in my shade. If not, let fire come out from me and devour the cedars of Lebanon. And Jotham continued, Now make sure you have acted honorably in good faith in making Abimelech your king, and that you have done right by Gideon and all of his descendants. Have you treated him with the honor he deserves for all he accomplished? For he fought for you and risked his life when he rescued you from the Midianites. But today you have revolted against my father and his descendants, killing his 70 sons on one stone. You have chosen his slave woman's son, Abimelech, to be your king just because he is your relative. If you have acted honorably and in good faith toward Gideon and his descendants today, then may, your, may, then may you find joy in Abimelech, and may he find joy in you. But if you have not acted in good faith, then may fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leading citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo, and may fire come out from the citizens of Shechem and Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. Then Jotham, then Jotham escaped and lived in Beer because he was afraid of his brother Abimelech. And oh, how we're going to read more about Abimelech next week. You see how quickly things turn when we step out of God's will, when we choose for ourselves. Oh, you want a lesson today? Are the decisions you're making based on your own motives, on your own desires? Because if they are, they will always lead to chaos. Nothing good can come from self. Luke chapter 23, verse 44 through Luke, through Luke 24, verse 12. So Luke chapter 23, verse 44. By this time it was about noon, and darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock. The light from the sun was gone, and suddenly the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn down the middle. Then Jesus shouted, Father, I entrust my spirit into your hands. And with those words, he breathed his last. When the Roman official officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened, he worshipped God. And said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. Oh, what a scene you are. And in the midst of this, oh, what hope that you have and that I have that that temple curtain was torn represented the separation from God and man. Now that it's torn, we're not separated. We don't need all the, the, the rituals and all the priests to intercede on our behalf or to do on our behalf. Now we have full access to God because of what Jesus accomplished. Verse 50. Now there was a good and righteous man named Joseph 
who was a member of the Jewish High Council. But he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, and he laid it in a new tomb that had been carved out of a rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation as the Sabbath was about to begin. And his body was taken away, I'm sorry, as his body was taken away, the woman from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. Then they went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time there was, they were finished, the Sabbath had began. So they rested as required by the law. But very early on Sunday morning, the woman went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified, bowed their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, oh, how important this is. Why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his eleven brothers and everyone else. What had happened? It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and several other women who had the apostle. I'm sorry, who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe. However, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering about what had happened. Praise be to God, you all. The tomb is empty. The tomb is empty. You need encouragement for today? You need encouragement as you face whatever's ahead of you this week? The tomb is empty. As I said earlier, only Jesus. The confident hope that you have in the risen Savior. He's not still lying in the tomb. He's not still on the cross. He's not in the manger. No, he's a risen Savior, you all. And that alone, he's the Son of God, he's the risen Savior, that confession and and belief should be what is inspiring you to choose life each and every single day. If he's still dead, if he's still in the tomb, this message that we have is foolishness. That's what the Bible says. Like that confession, that belief has to impact our life. Because it'll radically transform your life. The resurrected Christ. The King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He's come to redeem His people. His kingdom is established. And He will rule and reign forever. And that's why we cannot just treat Him as common. We can't just splash in His blood as if it's nothing. No, we recognize whom we serve, and we recognize that we are to be about our Father's business. We are on the winning side. 
No matter how we're being pressed up against, no matter what's coming our way, no matter how despair may try to want to sit in, no, we are on the winning side. And that's why you have got to learn to encourage yourself. Yes, it's good to have others encourage you, but it has to start here. You have got to learn to encourage yourself. Because the majority of the time when you're being rattled and shaken, you're alone. (laughs) The majority of the time when you're being rattled and shaking, it's going on in here and no one else knows what's going on. No, no, you have got to learn to take every thought captive, bring them into the obedience of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, and you have got to learn to put your foot on the devil's neck. (laughs) You have got to begin to trust in Jesus wholeheartedly. Not wavering back and forth. No, be committed to Christ, the risen King of kings and Lord of lords. Trust in Him. Abide in Him. Know Him. And be known by Him. Go to Psalm 99. Psalm 99 is where we're heading. Oh, I pray that you would be encouraged this day and the days to come. Psalm 99, the Lord is king. Let the nations tremble. He sits on the throne between the cherubim. Let the whole earth quake. The Lord sits in majesty in Jerusalem, exalted above the nations. Let them praise your great and awesome name. Your name is holy, mighty king, lover of justice. You have established fairness. You have acted with justice and righteousness throughout Israel. Exalt the Lord our God. Bow low before his feet, for he is holy. Moses and Aaron were among his priests. Samuel also called on his name. They cried to the Lord for help, and he answered them. He spoke to Israel from the pillar of cloud, and they followed the laws and decrees he gave them. O Lord our God, you answered them. You were a forgiving God to them, but you punished them when they went wrong. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his holy mountain in Jerusalem, for the Lord our God is holy. Do you know your God? (laughs) Are you in intimate fellowship with him? These psalmists knew their God. And even though they experienced all sorts of experiences and circumstances, they kept looking up. And this is the hope that we have as we're reading through the book of Psalm. And it's the hope that I have that that you can carry through your time each and every single day, exalting your God worshiping your God. That should be an area of your life that you're growing in, that you're maturing in, that you're honoring Him, that you're lifting up your hands, that you see Him for how great He is, because as you see Him, so you'll worship Him. And if you're lacking in worshiping, you don't see Him. Because how can you lack in worship and see Him for who He truly is? You know, when you see God for who He is, you can't help but humble yourself. You can't help but give yourself to Him and worship Him in spirit and in truth. Proverbs 14, two nuggets we're closing with. 
verses 9 and 10. Fools make fun of guilt, but the godly acknowledge it and seek reconciliation. Each heart knows its own bitterness, and no one else can fully share its joy. Be mindful, you all. Be mindful of the wisdom that you're hearing from the book of Proverbs. And put it into action into your life. Don't live like a fool who says there is no God. But live like the righteous who belong to God. Amen? Amen. I'm going to close us with this last song. And then I'll close us in prayer.